Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 back in a bonus bet. I was looking at NBA futures this morning. The Golden State Warriors are plus 5,500 right now on DraftKings to win the title. So if you believe in them, that's a big number. And Denver, I have Denver as my championship favorite. And they're still the second best odds on DraftKings right now at plus 450. So lots of good NBA bets to look at over the course of the end of the season. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. New customers can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no sweat bet per new customer issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash promos for deposit, wagering, and eligibility restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. All right, welcome to Hoops tonight here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having an incredible week. As you guys know, on Monday, we sat down with Sam Vecini to do our contender rankings, and we went all over the place. We ended up talking for almost three hours. We hit like 17 different teams. Yesterday, we ran part one of that list, which included 
uh, contenders one through five on my list, as well as Sam's agreements and disagreements. And then I went through the four teams with 31 plus wins that I don't think have a chance to win the title. So if you missed that, that's on our feed from yesterday. In today's show, we're running part two of that show with Sam Vecini. We're going to be hitting my number six through number 13 on my contenders list, as well as Sam's agreements and disagreements. We also got into some tactical stuff, some stuff that we would potentially see in matchups should these teams make deep playoff runs. A lot of good hoops talk in there for you. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. It mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. It's also really helpful if you guys take a second to leave a rating and a review on that front. Don't forget about my Twitter feed at underscore JasonLT for the film threads that I do in the mornings as well as show announcements. And then keep dropping mailbag questions in those YouTube comments so we can keep hitting them throughout the season. And the last but not least, before we get started, have you ever had had like a bad ticket buying experience maybe uh put it, uh, the ticket in the cart and you go to check out and then all these fees get added on and it ends up just being way more expensive than you in- expected or maybe you bought a seat and then you got to the arena and the seat wasn't what you were expecting in terms of just the quality of the seat or maybe the process is just overly convoluted well this is where i want to tell you guys about game time game time has all in prices to show your total upfront, so you know what you're getting yourself into. You know you're getting a great deal before you check out. Then also you can see the view from your seat before you check out so that you know exactly what to expect when you arrive to the arena. And then it's a super easy process. You can buy tickets in seconds with two taps. And as much as we enjoy watching these games, we got like 20-something games left in the season. Get out and see your favorite team in person. Get to an NBA arena. It's always an incredibly different experience to watching at home. A lot of older veteran guys like Steph and Katie and LeBron that might be gone before too long from the NBA. It'd be great to see them in person. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code HOOPS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and then redeem code HOOPS. That's H O O P S for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right. Without any further ado, let's get to part two with Sam Vecini of our contender rankings. Number six. The Phoenix Suns for me. Sure. Yeah. The I, you know, it's funny. I am lower on the Mavs uh, uh, trade deadline moves than you are in the sense that like, I don't necessarily, I guess you haven't actually said anything about their deadline moves, but I thought the Phoenix's deadline moves were smart because they actually brought players into the equation that I could see playing significant roles. For instance, like I think there's a case one player. Well, so I, yeah. I think I think there's a universe where a KD at center lineup could have Royce O'Neal and Thaddeus Young, although he was more of a buyout. He was a buyout, but like no, he was a but buyout, still yeah. like uh, I could see like to me Royce O'Neal is probably in their closing five, which is what makes like yeah. whereas with the Mavs it's like I would probably rather have i'm we'll, we'll talk about the maps yeah, let's, it, let's it, do it gets a little bit tougher so like i i you know it's interesting because they were the two teams that i thought behaved most desperately at the deadline <laughs> in terms of like going to to like to, yeah. to, to make these like moves on the margins 400 and, no and behind the scenes phoenix was like really aggressive yeah. trying to find a lot of options for 440 sure. minutes of Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant this year. 125 offensive rating, 113 defensive rating. They've held up well enough on the glass mm-hmm. for it not to be a problem. 
Um, I like the KD at center look for specific kind of like like a curveball for a short stretch. Uh, I actually thought it was smart for them to go away from it against Sacramento uh, when they won last week. I like what I'm seeing from Phoenix overall. I do get concerned though, uh, not to bring up the injury thing, but like they, that Beal and Booker are both susceptible to these like soft tissue injuries, which always freaked me out a little bit because like I think they need to be really humming on offense when they get to the postseason for this to work and rhythm is going to be a huge part of that and like Beal just went down with another hammy and so I do get concerned about him getting back and actually getting into rhythm in time for it to matter because things really took off for the Suns this year when Beal was consistently in the lineup and so I do believe in that group um I actually think they're just a much better version of last year's Suns team it's just I'm concerned about whether or not they'll be in rhythm at the right time where do you have Phoenix at I had Phoenix at eight, largely because of the injury question. Uh, Beal's continued health is concerning. Kevin Durant has a history of soft uh, soft tissue injuries at this point that needs to be accounted for on some level. And Yusuf Nurkic uh, has played at most 56 games in the previous four seasons. He is currently at 52. Uh, We will see if he can stay healthy for the whole way. I think Nurkic has been... And utterly, like, he has to be out there for 30 minutes plus for them, or else it gets really, really hard for them. I agree with you in terms of the KD closing at the five lineups from time to time can be really valuable. But in the Western Conference, where you have to deal with Carl Towns, Rudy Gobert combination in the front court, you have to deal with Nikola Jokic in the front court. I think that it's going to be very difficult for them to not have Nurkic on the court. I mean, how would you even feel about a Lakers series against the Suns if they tried to go small with KD against like Anthony Davis at the five? Like, I, I think that's probably a bad idea for the Suns because I think it'd be putting too much onto KD's shoulders just physically in terms of wear and tear uh, over the course of a full series, in my opinion. So, I really think Nurkic is essential, and I worry about his health a little bit. Beal, as you mentioned, continues to go down here and there with injuries. They've only played 440 minutes together this season. And yet, when they have been playing together, they have been phenomenal this year. Like Those lineups are fantastic. Grayson Allen this year. Grayson Allen is shooting (laughs) 51-48-89 this season. Grayson Allen is going to get so much money this offseason that uh, like he's the guy that people keep not bringing up in free agency as like an option for some of these teams. Grayson Allen is having like the best like walk year marginally compared to like where everybody else was entering the season compared to where they are now in the NBA. Like he's averaging 13 points a game on 51, 48, 89 in a role where they desperately need him night after night after night to perform and succeed. Okay, let's talk about the questions here. (laughs) Like, Their closing lineup, it sounds like you think, is Booker, Katie, Beal, Grayson, Allen, and Royce O'Neal, or Nurkic, depending on the matchup, for Royce or Grayson? Yeah, I think... I I think I'd go with Royce instead of Eric Gordon in their um, 
in their yeah. small ball lineups. I think that when they, I think they will have bigger looks where they go Royce instead of Grayson too. Um, yeah, Yusuf Nurkic, for as much as he gets criticized for his defense, like he's had some moments this year. Like I thought he was awesome down the stretch against Sacramento the other night. Had like several huge plays. Down, he's one of those guys, kind of like Jokic, where like when he's really active with his hands especially like on the ball handler, like when he's not sitting back passively, but rather more aggressive, he can actually be pretty impactful because he's a smart player. I actually get more concerned about him against like, you know why I think he's such a bad matchup against the Lakers is like LeBron can run pick and roll against him. Whereas so many other teams can switch it. He can get downhill against him. He can't play against the thunder like point blank. Like the thunder would just like completely cause all sorts Mm -hmm. of issues for him. Uh, in space over the course of a seven game series. But, you know, do you think that the KD Booker Beal combination is just good enough to beat the Thunder? Like, I think that's a completely reasonable mm-hmm. opinion because they actually can go to the KD at the five lineup against the Thunder and not get blitzed <laughs> on the defensive class. So it, it's the Suns are interesting. The Suns are a team that I've really uh, come to enjoy when they've been fully healthy this season. Uh, I had the Suns below the Mavs and the Timberwolves at this point. And then also the Thunder, I'm assuming, right? Um, I, I'm realizing I have the Thunder, or I have the Suns at seven. Suns so, at seven. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, 
and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com or download the app today. All right. My number seven is a team that I'm actually kind of sneaky high on. And I had to really temper myself because there was a there was a version of this list where they were higher. <laughs> and it's the New York Knicks. And and yep. here's my reasoning. I think if a couple of things go right for them, and that's Mitchell Robinson coming back from his ankle injury, which apparently there's some optimism coming out of his camp that it's a possibility. If Mitchell Robinson can Mm -hmm. come back from his injury, if Julius Randle can come back and get in rhythm in time for the playoffs, I think they're one of the most physically imposing teams in the league. The the Mm -hmm. numbers coming out of their core three are insane. 285 minutes of Randle, Brunson, and Ananobi, 129 offensive rating, 104 defensive rating, and a 56% rebound percentage. And before anybody brings up the talent stuff... I think personally, Jalen Brunson is a fringe superstar type of guard. I th- like. I think he is so 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 good. I think he's. Let me put it this way. I think he's closer to like what people think Dame is than like the Donovan Mitchell tier, in my opinion. Like I, I think he is. Oh, I think Jalen oh. Brunson is freaking awesome. And I think if you give him a truly physically imposing team that can defend at an elite level, that can rebound at an elite level, and as long as Julius Randle doesn't piss down his leg when he gets to the playoffs, I think they have that type of potential. Am I too high on the Knicks? What do you feel about the Knicks? The Knicks were my clear third team in the East, for sure. I had them a little bit lower in the grand scheme of the league. I had them ninth. I have a couple of teams in the West ahead of them still, but we're not too far off in terms of where we are. If you have them seven, I have them ninth. Uh, I am generally with you that this construction of this roster really accentuates Jalen Brunson and makes him to the point where, look, I I would have Donovan Mitchell in this tier, but I I don't mind your take there that like he is within that Lillard-Mitchell grouping of players at this point he really just kind of is he is a fantastic fantastic player in terms of being able to get to his spots he decelerates exceptionally well he's constantly on balance he has elite 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 touch he is a genuine three-level scorer in a way that you need three-level scorers to consistently keep defenders off of their toes now how much do you trust him in isolation versus without a ball screen uh the only reason i say that is because i don't know if they have another guy on this team that can score without a ball screen right now that's my one concern about this everything is so tied to what Jalen can do offensively being able to create separation being able to make the offense work What do they do if an opposing team, you know, I'm trying to think of like in the West, for instance, right? Like if an opposing team is just like, fuck it, we're going to throw Kawhi on him and like, just go, okay, like, let's make this work. Or the Nuggets throw KCP on him and say, let's go crazy and like completely shut it down. On top of it, teams are going to attack him on defense. Mm -hmm. That's the reality. Uh, The Cavs last year had an easy spot to hide 
Jalen Brunson on. And Tibbs did that immaculately well. Uh, they spent time using the Levert, Okoro, etc. grouping uh, at the three where they'd space that guy into the corner using like an attacking help defender. And they spent time with Brunson using him as like a rest defender, basically to get him a blow to be able to get some uh get some like active rest on the court basically uh the heat also really gave him a lot of options to be able to hide on in a real way if they run into the celtics there isn't a place to hide uh if they run into the bucks there are probably places to hide I would say like you could hide him on Patrick Beverly and be fine. You could hide him on Andre Jackson on Jay Crowder, whoever, uh, but in the West, I think there are much, there are many fewer places to hide uh, on Jalen Brunson. So I agree with you on offense. I think Brunson's a bit worse defensively than what Donovan Mitchell is. And that causes a few issues for them schematically. They are total ass kickers. Uh, if they're fully healthy, OG Ananobi is a stud. Uh, playoff potential player hasn't really shown it yet in the playoffs, but like, I think that that will come. I think it will happen at the highest level. Uh, like you said, Mitchell Robinson is kind of the key for me. I love Isaiah Hartenstein. I think he is again, another one of the most like underrated impactful players across the entire league, but they need 48 minutes of just being like total ass kickers on the glass, not just 24, mm. I think to be able to make a run. Honestly, if they got placed into a buck series right now, I really might take them. Oh man! <laughs> yeah. Well, to put it clearly, if they if they started tomorrow, the Bucks aren't sharp enough. Uh, but the but totally. for the record, if they started so, like, tomorrow, the Knicks aren't healthy. So it's tricky. But like, yeah. I, I, I look, man. Like, I I literally sit there and I think, okay, like if they're healthy, they have such a clear top five in the sense that it's like. Like literally, Dante Divincenzo has been one of the best spot up players in the league this year, and and yep. he's yep. a good point of attack defender who brings physical ball pressure. Like, yep, like that. Brunson, Divincenzo, OG, Julius, Mitchell Robinson. That's just a really good basketball team. I, I, that's an that's an interesting thing to to put him against Milwaukee because Milwaukee is like one of those teams that's just so far from their potential at this point. But that to me is the case. It's like the case, you know, we talked about the Suns a minute ago. If the Suns started their playoff run tomorrow, they would have to beat Denver four times out of seven. And then after that, they would have to turn around and beat Minnesota four times after out of seven. And then after that, they'd have to turn around and beat what Oklahoma City probably four times out of seven. And then after that, Clippers or the Clippers like or that, the Clippers, yeah. yeah, most likely the Clippers. And then if they won that, they'd have to turn around and most likely beat Boston or somebody like that four times out of seven. There's just in the Eastern Conference, it, to your point, they're third, like in in all likelihood if you're ranking the I team. Think so so like it's really like if the Bucks don't materialize. You physically bully the Bucks. You you get it done. Then you go on, and it's like all we have to do is beat Boston, and now we're in the finals. You know, it just it just seems like a more achievable. They, they have a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of ways to cause problems schematically from Milwaukee in that mm -hmm. series. You could throw OG Ananobi onto Giannis. You could use Julius Randle to guard 
uh, Brooke Lopez shooting in the corner, whatever you want to do, get late contests, etc. You can also then use your big Isaiah Hartenstein, Mitchell Robinson onto whoever the help defender you know player is you know you can't do it if it's malik beasley out on the court so they probably have to play beasley in those circumstances but if you're playing beasley then you have a real schematic offensive advantage Mm -hmm. on the court so let's say it's beasley you put uh honestly like i would i don't know if i would put randall on him they run beasley off of a lot of actions there there are different ways schematically but like you can really cause problems for them uh in terms of light-up constructions, in terms of different things, because you have the Ananobi factor now who can throw 30 minutes onto Giannis, and he won't stop Giannis, but he's strong enough, physical enough to at least can work. slightly reduce Giannis's, you know, effectiveness over the course of the series, especially when you have a help defender at the center position there waiting as well. You can just get late contests on Brook Lopez threes at that mm-hmm. point, and you'd be pretty comfortable, I think, if you're the Knicks. The more I talk about this, the more I think I would take the Knicks in a series specifically against the Bucks right now. I think I would too, but it's only because of the fact that like there's still so much theoretical with the Bucks. But then I feel bad saying that because like like literally the entire Knicks front court is injured right now. <laughs> like all three guys. So Well, I know, like it, it's all theoretical. Like everything about this exercise is I, I do think you can right? run but out like, of bodies though. I think there could be a point where it's like, okay, we have somebody yeah. that's way too small to guard OG Ananobi on him right now. Like I think they present I I think they're a difficult team to match up with physically. And by the way, Mitchell Robinson we talked about the Evan Mobley stuff. Mitchell Robinson also just kicked their ass on the offensive glass in that series. Like, like, like Mitchell Robinson is a 100%. real playoff mismatch problem for a lot of front lines in the league. I, I'm just really high. I, I'm just really high on the Knicks. Um, no, I'm 100% with you. And by the way, that could create a real just like possession issue because the Bucks never hit the offensive glass. Like that's your whole mm-hmm. thing. Like they would really have to, they've been a, good defensive rebounding team this year they haven't been a great defensive rebounding team this mm-hmm. year uh they would really have to control the defensive glass in that series in order to win that series and and if they're in rotation non-stop I really too think I've, like if they're like as if they can't contain at the point of attack and Giannis and brooke are always in help then no one's matched up on the back line so like thinking about it like offensively there you put Giannis on julius randall assuredly and then you have brooke be the help man and then what you're then throwing like Andre Jackson, Malik Beasley, Damian Lillard on Jalen Brunson. And middle and Middleton's on OG, and OG's bigger and stronger than Middleton. Yeah. They they have a real look like again, the Bucks have the two best players in that series, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Uh that might be enough. But the Knicks have real schematic advantages against the Bucks in a series that are interesting. Also, let's just let's just call it what it is. I think Jalen Brunson's been a substantially better player this season than Dame. I agree. Like, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, but yeah, at least two of the top three. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, the Knicks are interesting to me. Yeah. I, I just I, I think they're I think they're dangerous. My number eight is the Los Angeles Lakers. And this is my last team on the tier of teams that are missing traditional championship benchmarks, but you can see the pathway for them. The case for the Lakers is pretty simple. Like I mentioned earlier, they're one of only five teams in the league that definitively have two of the top 20 players in the NBA. 
They are top 10 in both half-court offense and defense. That's something that I'm sure a lot of people are not aware of with the Lakers. They are also the third-best clutch team in the league this year. They've been really good on both ends of the floor there. They have been like four different teams this year (laughs) because like... The, when they when they yeah. won the in season tournament, they were like this grinded out, defensive minded team that just like strangled games into the mud and fl- ran everything out of the post. And then all of a sudden, like now they're like this like beautiful ball movement, player movement, five five out offense. They're like the best assist to turnover team in the league over the last fifteen games and fifth in offensive rating. But they can't guard anybody to save their lives, and they have. Now with Jared Vanderbilt out, they literally don't even have a single healthy point of attack defender yeah. on the roster. So, but like the case for the Lakers is simple. Jared Vanderbilt Jared Vanderbilt comes back, he gets healthy, he takes primary point of attack assignments. The five out approach which involves Jared Vanderbilt not standing in the corner but rather rather constantly moving as a screener and as a dribble handoff guy and cutting to the basket and and basically they the, the Lakers had turned Jared Vanderbilt into a useful offensive player right before he got hurt. He actually had like a bunch of double figure scoring games in a row. Uh, and then the case would be is that the five out offense just achieves a transcendent, you know, you know, like just LeBron, Anthony Davis cutting and moving without the basketball and Austin and D'Lo just making great decisions. That's the case for it. But I do think it's a long shot. And I thought that their inability to bring in a legitimate two-way athlete on the perimeter at the deadline was kind of the death knell of their yeah. season, but I still think they have an outside shot and you can kind of see it. And that's why I have them at, a, at number eight. Where do you have the Lakers? I have the Lakers right now at number 11. It looks like, which is still top half of the league given the way their season has gone. And they are 30 and 26, like pretty pretty high up i think is reasonable to say uh they're what ninth in the west right Mm -hmm. now so you know to have them 11th in the league is saying a lot you it sounds like you think their closing lineup right now is reeves russell vanderbilt lebron when healthy is what you would go with when healthy I think you can get away with a lot of the like Vanderbilt, like cutting, moving constantly, screening, rolling, everything like that, a lot easier in the regular season than you can in the playoffs when teams will essentially just play off of him. They will put the center on him and play off of him in the playoffs. If you are, uh, if you have a second body to be able to do so, like, the Nuggets will just use Nikola Jokic like in the middle of the court and play off of him, right? The Clippers would just use, I think, I would bet you the Clippers would put Kawhi on AD and just use Avica Zubats like in the middle of the court as the help defender and just say, okay, Jared, run around, do your thing, like move around, that's fine. Uh, we'll just be here waiting for you at the rim and we'll be here waiting for everybody else at the rim as well i don't think you can close with vanderbilt i think vanderbilt's a valuable player for 20 minutes a game in the playoffs like he's shown that before i just don't think you can close with them i wonder if their best closing lineup is actually the three guards including spencer dinwiddie the case would be the, the fact that like like you're just getting more 
just in as just a better basketball player, right? So like whatever you're giving up in terms of Jared's yeah. height and speed and, and perimeter defense, you're just getting back elsewhere, right? That's the case. Or or Rui. Like maybe it's Rui if teams, you know, if Rui continues to knock down mm-hmm. shots from the perimeter and you know, teams feel like they have to guard him and Rui can match up, you know, physically with somebody. It might be Rui actually. Like this is a wild thing to say, but like I, I kind of think their best lineup is going to be Reeves, Russell, Rui, LeBron, that's your starters. AD, and that's not, yeah, something that I'm like wildly enthused about necessarily mm-hmm. either. Um, can they guard anybody at the point of attack? If they run into the Mavs, like, can they defend either of Luca or uh, Kyrie? No, I mean they can't. And like for the record, like. What bothers me the most about it from a management perspective is this was abundantly clear as a fall as a flaw in the Nuggets series last year. Like they just they didn't yes. have it was like, oh, we don't have anybody at the one, two, or three that has good size, good athleticism, and is a and is a plus player on both ends of the floor. Like they did not have a single player. They had all offseason to figure it out. They had all season to figure it out. And they just literally did not even come up with a single option. As a matter of fact, they ditched Dennis Schroeder, which in my opinion, like if the alternative was Gabe Vincent, I'd rather have Dennis Schroeder. So like like it just it, 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 I, I don't understand why they never addressed it. But I mean, that said, like, here's the thing. Why is it such a big deal for the Lakers and not for the Bucks? And I understand that the Bucks have a better record, but the Bucks have also played a substantially easier schedule and are playing in a conference mm-hmm. with a lot of teams at the bottom where you can pile up some easier wins. I actually think in bigger games this year, the, the Lakers have actually fared about as well as Milwaukee has. Um, so like that's the mm-hmm. thing that, that, that would be my counter to that case is like, why are we giving Milwaukee that leeway, but not the Lakers? Like, why is it that we go like, oh, Damon Giannis, what if they just figure it out? But we can't just say LeBron James and Anthony Davis and a bunch of offensive skill can't figure it out. You know what I mean? Because the Bucks have Brooke Lopez as an interior mm-hmm. defender, uh, you know, mixed with their AD defensively in mm-hmm. Giannis, as opposed to the Lakers who have, you know, throw the hands up and just like, question marks like across the board on the interior as a secondary defender uh vanderbilt is a you know fantastic fantastic defender i don't mean to like completely disparage him he's a better point of attack like aggressive defender than he is like he can scramble around and move but like he tends to be like pretty over aggressive i think in scramble situations and in help situations and like kind of gets lost a little bit so like to me that's actually the difference it's like the backing of having brooke lopez there in addition to their you know, AD in Giannis. Uh, I think that they can, it's hard to say the Bucks can stand on defense when they haven't stood on defense this year for a single <laughs> second of the season. But like, I do think that schematically it makes a little bit more sense for them to be able to do so. And they're just more physical. You know, the, the re- one of the reasons that like, I think it's like absolutely insane to have the Lakers ahead of the Thunder at this point is the way to beat the thunder is to like be an absolute ass kicker going toward the rim, uh, finishing at the basket, but also like crashing the offensive glass, being aggressive that way. Do you know the worst offensive rebounding team is in the NBA right now? The Lakers. The Los Angeles Lakers. It was, uh, they, it was dude, so they, they could fix the transition defense and they had a bad transition defense. They had to stop crashing <laughs> and they have to like, that's the thing against 
that's actually like a big piece of why I think that the Thunder people bring up the defensive rebounding side of it. And maybe we should, I assume you have the Thunder next. Um, I have them at 10 actually, but to me, like to me, they're the tiers are all kind of like jammed up. Um, but okay. We'll yeah. talk about the thunder when we get to the thunder, but, um, I'll kind of give my case on why the like defensive rebounding thing is worrisome, but not like a potential death now. Um, my, my worry is just purely point of attack defense with, with the Lakers and being able to construct two-way lineups like it's actually quite similar to the pelicans in a lot mm-hmm. of ways uh the advantage that the lakers have and why they should be ahead of the pelicans in my opinion is that they have anthony davis he is arguably the best two-way player in the league this season and anthony davis should be top three in defensive player of the year unequivocally so far i think he has been fantastic on that end beyond that lebron is not been awesome on defense this year oh, he's been bad. i think that like there have been moments where he's brought it but like he's not been great uh the advanced numbers because he pairs a lot of his minutes with ad are like pretty okay and like forgiving to lebron on that end but like generally so i think he has not been great and like attentive on that end austin reeves has not been very good on defense d'angelo russell has not been very good on defense Rui is you know still space cadetti off the ball in a way that is concerning they just don't have you know cam reddish can't offense at a level that you need to in the playoffs Spencer Dinwiddie, sneakily, I know that it hasn't been a great offensive season for him. I actually thought that like he took on a lot of difficult assignments for Brooklyn this season. Like nobody paid attention to Brooklyn because they were like the most milk toast basketball team on planet Earth prior to the deadline. But like Spencer, for like people who said like Spencer was like quiet quitting the Nets. He wore like he had to fight every night against like an opposing team's good offensive player when they were running out Cam Thomas. Like he had to do more than what I think people gave him credit for. Now he hasn't had a great offensive season. I'm not going to sit here and like defend Spencer Dinwiddie. I do wonder if, you know, six foot six can at least like hold up in those matchups a little bit better, certainly than Reeves and Russell have. I mean, look, it's like damning with faint praise, but like, I, I think Spencer might actually be really helpful for them. Oh, I love like the real way. Yeah, I loved I loved Spencer to the Lakers just because he like at the very least for nothing. He, he brought in a much, much better athlete to the guard position than what the Lakers had. And Lakers yeah. fans are all like Max Christie and Cam Reddish. I, I, they're all high on them. I, I think. I think Cam Reddish is bad, and I think that uh, Max Christie is too yeah, young. So, like, I've, I'm not as high on them. I will say this, like, because, you know, I know that you have both the Thunder and the Mavs over the Lakers in large part because they do. don't have guys to throw at those two uh, perimeter options for both teams. I am not as worried about that for one very simple reason. I think LeBron James and Anthony Davis would rip through the Mavs and Thunder front lines for seven straight games. I think they would just obliterate their front lines. Like, I think it would be an an utter physical ass-kicking of the front lines. In the same way that Shea and Jalen and Luka and Kyrie would kick the ass of the Laker perimeter players. And so, like, to me, I think it's... I, I think... I think people are a little low on the LeBron AD front line as a playoff duo, just in general. I think, again, 
You pointed it out. Yeah. LeBron James in the in-season tournament was the that was the only time he tried on defense this year. I can state that as someone who's watched the team very closely. Like the Lakers are a lot better than their record would indicate. As a matter of fact, they went three and ten in the first thirteen games after the in-season tournament and blew a bunch of games against atrocious yeah. teams, like truly bad teams that they just won out, didn't play hard, and lost to. So, like, I my my thing is like any case for the Lakers for me falls apart when they run into teams that are big and have the uh, advantages on the on the perimeter so like for me the Lakers I get scared about Minnesota I get scared about Denver I even get scared about the Clippers a little bit because of the fact that Kawhi can bang with LeBron and because of the fact that Zubac has always given AD issues just in terms of like shoving him under the basket, getting offensive rebounds, just hold like he just physically overwhelms AD sometimes. So like to me, I'm Mm -hmm. way more worried about the Lakers against the big teams. Like I, I, you and I argued about this on the phone. I would pick the Lakers over the Thunder and the Mavs in a playoff series. I just think they'd obliterate them on the front line. Yeah, we'll talk about that <laughs> when we get to the Mavs. I think the Mavs. I think the Mavs front line is a little bit better than what uh, people think. So, uh, with the with the addition, with one particular addition. But look, I agree with you that like people are way underrating the idea of Anthony Davis and LeBron James together. There's a reason that they were as successful as they were in the in season tournament, mm-hmm. right? Like they can really play when they decide to turn it up for like a real, you know, set of games. It's going to be hard, like. Dealing with those two is a handful. They can really, really defend when they want to defend, and they are great offensively. Having to do it from where they're going to have to come from is my issue. Kind of similar to what you said with, uh, was it was it Phoenix? I believe, no, we were talking about the Knicks in terms of uh, like third seed or whatever, right? Like they're going to have to do it against the Timberwolves and the Gobert AD or the Gobert Towns front line. Then they're probably going to have to do it against, you know, whoever the hell finishes four or five. It could honestly be Denver in the four or five matchup. So you might have to do it against Denver again. And they have no shot against Denver, in my opinion. I agree. And then you might have to do it against the Clippers where Zubots is going to go against them, right? Like coming from the eight seed, the seven seed is a substantial, substantial problem, I think, for the Lakers. Uh, again and again and again, just having to get up. For LeBron for two months straight of playoff basketball against teams where they don't have a schematic advantage because of how bad their perimeter point of attack mm. defense is. Totally fair. And by the way, like I was as soon as they couldn't address that, like, you know, it's funny. I was actually way higher on them going after Bruce Brown than DeJounte Murray this deadline. Like had they gotten Bruce Brown, I would have been all over the Lakers because I just I just think that that w- I'm a big believer too. this is one of my overarching basketball philosophies like we talked about this earlier with Jamal Murray and like winning impact I'm a big believer in like even a limited player that is great at a thing you're bad at as a team can be monumentally important for your basketball team I, I, I it's just it's just something I've seen time and time again it's something that I, I believe very strongly in Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. 
We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. So uh, number nine. And this is my last tier of teams. These are all long shots to me. So these are all teams where like, I just, I would be really surprised if they won, but they have just like specific things there. Each of them have like that one big thing for me. That's like, yeah, you can't write them off because of this. And number nine for me is the Golden State Warriors. The reason is simple. You can't write them off because of Steph Curry. He's playing incredible as of late. The Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, Jonathan Kaminga foursome in 246 minutes this year. It has a 120 offensive rating and a 104 defensive rating. They have been bad at rebounding, but that's been kind of an issue regardless of their lineups uh, as of late. Their main concerns, their late in games, their offense just goes from being this like beautiful ball player movement to just Steph Curry running around chasing his own shot, which I think, I think is as much as I love Steph and as long as much as I love Steve Curry, I just think it's bad process. I, I think they, I think they, I think that has actually led to diminishing returns in a lot of ways. And I think they have more options than what they've demonstrated. Also, I, I'm higher on their defensive issues that they've had as of late. Like their crunch time defense has been really bad and it's cost them in a lot of these games, but I think it's schematic, not personnel based. Like they're they're really overhelping a lot right now. It's a it's a major thing that I'm noticing mm-hmm. where like if a guy has a defender or if a guy has an offensive player on his hip and he's like tracking him and driving with him to the basket and instead of just letting him force him into a tough contested layup at the rim or or anything other than an easy kick out they're just all converging on the basketball and giving up these wide open shots so like I think they can be a lot better than what they have been 
Um, I, I, it's an extreme long shot because they just don't have any offensive production outside of Steph Curry that's consistent, especially within a playoff lens. But like you can kind of see, it's like Steph Curry's top five player in the world. They have a ton of athleticism now that they've been going to Kaminga and Wiggins in the front line. Like that's the long shot. Where are you at with the Warriors? Had the Warriors at number nine, so we're not far off on that. Over the last month, the team with the fourth best net rating in the NBA, 7.7, the Golden State Warriors. They've really found something with this Jonathan Kaminga, uh, Draymond Green front court, I think, that has really, really been impactful for them. Basically, removing Kevon Looney from the lineup has been valuable. But the problem for them is that they're going to run into teams that have real bigs where they have to play Kevon mm-hmm. Looney. And they have to play Draymond Green with Kevon Looney in all likelihood. Like you can't just run out. I, I think that where they have found success is in situations that probably aren't that applicable to the teams that they're going to have to play in the playoffs. Uh, if they play the Nuggets as the seven seed, they have to play Kevon Looney 30 minutes a night or else. Like, what, what are you going to put Draymond Green on Nikola Jokic? Like, I love, love, love Draymond Green, but I don't feel great about that matchup. I, I just don't. I'm sorry. Uh, it's really hard to play five out against the Nuggets because the Nuggets are better than you at playing five out. If they play the Timberwolves, you have to play Kevon Looney, I think. Like, at the end of the day, I think that you're going to have to do that. So, I worry about what the playoff schematics look like as much as anything. Like the Warriors have been great with this smaller lineup, but do you think, and this is a real question for you, do you think that this smaller lineup can find success in the playoffs consistently? Uh, Because if you look at the teams that they've beat recently, it's like 76ers. uh, If I remember correctly, that was the game where Joel Embiid got hurt. Right. So like they blew the doors off of them, beat the Nets, beat the Hawks, beat the Grizzlies, you know, beat the Pacers with like a reduced Tyrese Halliburton, uh, beat the Jazz twice, beat the or lost to the Clippers. Right. Uh, Or no, they lost to the Hawks. I'm sorry. But then like lost to the Lakers, lost to the Kings, like the good teams they've played over the course of this month, for the most part, they, they have struggled to beat them. And I wonder if it's like a schematic thing where teams with real size that force them away from the Kaminga Draymond look can cause them real issues and that those actual problems haven't been addressed and been fixed. I I have a feeling that some of this is regular season, you know, success as well, stemming from like just lessons that we've learned over the years. Like to me, Jonathan Kaminga, I've been so impressed by Jonathan Kaminga as like a long-term prospect. And like, he's won me over this year in a lot of ways. Like I really think defenders struggle to handle him one-on-one, which is like a, which is a, which is like a legitimate thing that you can build a career off of. You know what I mean? Um, But, but his jump shot after being red hot during the hot streak has gone way, way, way down. And he does struggle that now, mm-hmm. now teams are starting to throw multiple bodies at him. And this is what I've been saying over that whole stretch. I was like, okay, Jonathan Kaminga is playing really, really well, but you get to the postseason, Everything is about exposing your weaknesses. They're going to find a way to like, 
the big one with Kaminga is like if you throw late help after he puts the ball on the floor, he is turnover prone. Yeah. And so that that's a big one. And then the other one, too, is just in off ball situations, you can just straight up play off of him. Like he's not a guy that you necessarily have to worry totally. about out there. And so that puts you in a situation where you basically don't have a reliable secondary shot creator. I'm less worried about the... I'm less worried about the defensive configuration as it pertains to Looney because I think the I, I think Looney's been so bad this year that whatever athletic advantages you gain in rotation by just being faster are are more important than whatever size you get from Kevon Looney. I think Kevon Looney I don't know. I don't know if it's because he's still kind of young. <laughs> like it, he's not that old. Like I don't understand what it is with him, but he just has not been as useful this year as he as he was in previous years. Like I I I I would lean more on speed and be like, we just got to be a team that's excellent in rotation against these teams that are too big for Draymond to handle one on one in the front line. But like, here's the bottom line though. As you put it, like there's a reason why I have them in my long shot tier. Why you have them at number nine is like there's just teams that are way better than them at the things that they do and, and it's really that simple the more we talk through this the more i think that like i should probably have them at 11 not nine like the fact that they haven't beaten anybody during this stretch i kind of like thought about it a little bit more toward like they've been successful i've really liked this group but like in terms of playoff success i actually truly really think that you need side like you need somebody to match up with Nicole Jokic. You need somebody to match up Carl Towns. You need somebody to match up with uh, like anybody else that like even I think they deal well with the Pelicans. Like I think they deal well with Zion, but like like Jonas would cause them some problems. I think on the front line, the Jonas Zion combination would cause them some problems. I think in the front line, I, I just. I, I don't think they've solved it. I, I really don't in terms of when teams, they have too many gaps that you can attack. I really respect how hard, you know, Brandon Pajemski plays on the ball and like I really or off the ball and I really respect his basketball IQ. But like he's like kind of a necessity for them as a secondary creator mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And teams are going to attack him on the ball like pretty regularly on defense. I don't think that they're going to find an answer defensively for this at the end of the day. And if they do find an answer for it defensively, like if Kavan can figure out whatever's going on there and if Andrew Wiggins can come back to like this world, which he has a little better. bit yeah. uh, in recent weeks. Yeah. I still think that they have too many mismatch issues on the defensive end to where teams are going to be able to take advantage of them. Like, okay. Like what you would like to do against Minnesota is you'd like to play a big against Carl towns and then have Draymond guard Rudy Gobert, and then help off of Draymond, like on the, or use Draymond as the help defender on towns drives on towns, post-ups force him into tough decisions and be able to attack that way. You can't really do that with like Jonathan Kaminga. You can't put him on Carl Towns. Towns will bury him on the block, which means you then have to put Draymond on Towns. And I think Draymond would annoy the shit out of Carl mm -hmm. Towns. But like then you're putting Rudy Gobert on, or you're putting Jonathan Kaminga on Rudy Gobert, and they'll just spam one five ball screens with uh, Mike Conley and Gobert. And for as athletic as Kaminga is, he can't out high point Gobert. And then if you do that, you're then helping off of Towns, probably with the tag defender, uh, 
in Draymond in order to try and shut that down. And then you're leaving towns open and then you're in scramble situations where you have Anthony Edwards setting up in a scramble situation, right? Where he can attack a scramble bent defense. I think they're coming from too far away is where I'm at right now. I think the Warriors are coming from too far away from uh, where they are to be able to really, truly contend. Right and Kaminga and Gobert opens up even more defensive rebounding issues, which has been just a huge problem. Like as even totally. that dominant lineup that Wiggins, Kaminga, Draymond, Curry, uh, foursome, they they have not rebounded well. They've been a bad defensive rebounding team. It's like you watch the Jazz game, and it's like they keep getting stops, but just guys are flying in and getting rebounds over them. And then it's like, they finally get a stop at the end of the Clippers game and no one boxes out Russell Westbrook and they come, he comes flying in and he gets like, they just, that, that to me, like I actually, again, I'm higher on their defensive potential than you are, but like, like the defense, the rebounding piece, I don't know that that can be fixed. Um, All right. We're going to do, we're going to do one more in depth and then we're going to move quick through the end. So number 10, I have the Oklahoma city thunder. So my, my, my thunder pessimism, and I've said this a million times and I I have to say it as a disclaimer, just because of the way that, uh, um, sometimes people act the the way that the internet is. Yes. Uh, I love everything about this thunder team. I love Shay. I've been super high on him for a long time. Jalen Williams was talking about him this morning. He had a couple of nasty, um, uh, uh, step back threes the other night against, um, God, who was it? I can't even remember, but I was, I was watching him. You know, you know, he's actually been the second best pull-up jump shooter in the league this year, (laughs) like like minimum 200 attempts. There's like 44 guys. James Harden's number one. Jalen Williams is number two. He's getting like 1.18 points per pull-up jump shot. It's completely outrageous. And like, and he's like, just got that in combination with real downhill force. I love Chet. I love not just how good he is now, but what his potential is and what his demeanor is like and his competitiveness. Um, Lou Dort's one of my favorite three and D players in the league, huge Thunder fan. This is just simply based on my overarching basketball opinions, which is or philosophies, whatever you want to call it. In my opinion, if you are small and young, you're not going to win in the late phases of the NBA playoffs. Specifically, Last year's conference finalists, the final four teams, all four were top 11 in defensive rebounding. In 2022, the Mavs, Warriors, and Heat were all top 10. The Celtics were 15th. 2021, all four uh, conference finalists were all in the top 11 in defensive rebounding percentage. I think a big part of it is when you get into that phase, kind of like we saw in the Cavs-Knicks series last year, those physical advantages actually just get overemphasized when you get to that point. There's a reason why no rebounds, no rings is a, is a saying it's actually a big, a big version of why I have some skepticism surrounding the Clippers. Um, in my opinion, the Clippers are just a better version of the thunder. I know they don't play schematically the exact same way, but in terms of the way that they're constructed as like these kind of two way perimeter players, I just think Kawhi and Paul George are better versions of that than Shea and Jalen are, especially at this phase in their careers. So like, I, I, I really like Oklahoma city. I would be, is uh, barring some sort of weird thing where like Shea decides he doesn't want to be in the thunder anymore and and demands a trade. I don't think that the thunder are going to go through this era without winning a title. I think they're going to, I think they're too good not Mm -hmm. to, I just, it to to me in a field this stacked, I would just be so surprised if this super young, super small team somehow ended up with the trophy at the end of the day. Tell me why I'm wrong, Sam. Okay, so look, I say this as somebody who had the Thunder at like seven or eight, 
or something like that. Right. So I am not drastically higher on the thunder than where you are for this season's playoffs. Uh, the highest I think you can reasonably get them right now is probably fifth or so. I think they are a total ass kicking team on offense. Uh, and on defense, they bring some real schematic point of attack issues that cause all sorts of problems in terms of half court execution. On top of that, they are the best transition team in the NBA. Now, I typically don't love transition basketball in the playoffs. I think it is much more difficult to execute than just being an elite level half court execution offense. Having said that, with the Thunder, where the transition adeptness helps is if you decide that you want to try and attack the offensive glass against the Thunder and you want to go for that, they're going to kill you in transition, even in the playoffs. Like if you decide, hey, we're the Lakers, we want to crash with AD, we want to crash with uh, really just ad i guess lebron as well would be your idea if i'm the thunder i'm saying be my guest we're still gonna get probably 65 percent of those like even if we're the worst defensive rebounding team in the league we'll like even if we like go even worse than the worst defensive rebounding team in the league and we get 65 percent of the offensive re or the defensive rebounds and you're crashing multiple guys we're gonna beat you in transition more than you're gonna beat us on the offensive glass so I would invite that if I'm them. Now, the question with the Lakers, the question with teams that like can really get downhill rim pressure is what will Chet look like in the playoffs? I think Chet is an outstanding competitor. I think Chet is somebody whose mentality is going to translate exceedingly well toward the playoffs. I worry a little bit in terms of foul trouble in the playoffs for Chet. If he gets into foul trouble, what is their combo breaker? What is their counter? They don't really have one? Question mark? Uh, it's going to be entirely reliant on Chet being able to play 35 minutes a night in the playoffs. And I say that thinking Chet is their third best player, but he is probably their second most important player in terms of playoff success behind Shea. Now, Part of my Thunder optimism compared to your being a Thunder hater, which is what I will be referring to you <laughs> as from now on, Jason. Uh, I think Shea is an absolute dude. And I think he is going to be able to wreak havoc on opposing teams. And in part, the reason for that is you have to guard them now five out. The big underrated unsung trade addition that a team made at the deadline, if he can be healthy, is Gordon Hayward. Because previously, what teams have done to kind of gum up the works for Oklahoma City on offense is play your center on Josh Giddy and then be able to try and filter Shea toward the help in the middle and then leave Josh Giddy literally wide open from three. That's the way the teams have had success against them this season. With Gordon Hayward, you cannot do that. He will kill you from three. He will beat you as a shooter from distance. And he's bigger than Isaiah Joe, which was their other co like combo breaker, counter, whatever you want to call it. Isaiah, I think, is 
a smart defender, but he's somebody that you can attack a little bit too often on defense. With Hayward, I think that you're not going to be able to attack him as much, which leads to a circumstance where they can play genuine five-out offense, force all sorts of issues as you're trying to stay in front of Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who is the best paint touch guy in the NBA right now. I think you would probably agree with he can that. Beat, he can beat people off the dribble. <laughs> he can beat anybody in the NBA off the dribble. Then on top of it, you have Jalen Williams, who I think is still underrated league-wide. I, I don't think people understand what Oklahoma City has in Jalen Williams. This is not like your run-of-the-mill like potential second star at some point. He is going to be an all-NBA player. You were the one who gave me the Jimmy this Butler like, comp, right? It was you that gave me that, right? Yes. yes. Love that. That I is literally it, what I'm way. going to next. <laughs> yeah. He is like Jimmy Butler for this coming era. He is huge. He is physical. He's six foot six with a seven foot two wingspan. The biggest thing, though, is he's a genuine three level scorer. How many teams right now can you point to that have two legitimate elite? And I would say Jalen isn't maybe not like elite of the elite, but he's damn close three level scorers right now i would not say Giannis is a three level scorer i would not say anthony davis is a three level scorer uh i would say that the nuggets certainly have multiple three level scorers i would say the clippers have three level but even then even then Kawhi and paul george don't get to the rim the way that shay and jalen do a hundred percent that ability to constantly pressure the defense from multiple angles I think is enormous. You can constantly pressure the defense from multiple angles on the court from all three levels while having three other additional guys on the court that are spacing the court. I think they're actually an impossible guard in the playoffs if they don't have to play Josh Giddy. It's totally reasonable. I loved the Gordon Hayward edition. If for nothing else, I'm just excited to watch Gordon Hayward play in big playoff games. I don't know about you, but like I feel like I, I feel too. like we haven't gotten nearly enough of that, especially after what he was like in college. Um specifically with Shea. You and I had an argument on the phone the other day. And I want I wanted yeah. to kind of get that on the record here. So basically what I said to Sam on the phone, and You think he's James no, Harden, no, no, no. Is <laughs> where your take is. So I, I use James Harden as a cop at, to make an example about playoff defense, but I, I, uh, I'll accept it. So basically, this is, the, this is what I, I said to Sam. For the record, I do not think Shea is going to be James Harden. But one of the things that happened to James Harden uh, is he was a guy that had the basketball in his hands a lot and did a lot of attacking specifically from the same angles on the floor out of ball screens and in isolation. And one of the things I noticed with James Harden is he was a guy that was gifted at beating people off the dribble, but was not a supreme athlete at his position, which is what I would describe Shea. Mm -hmm. Shea, to me, is a very good athlete, but he is not Anthony Edwards. Okay, He doesn't bring like incredible force to the position. He is yeah. shifty with the way that he beats people off the dribble. Amazing with change of pace and footwork and all the like kind of weird. He's got kind of like a weird old fashioned game in a lot of ways with his ability to beat people off the dribble with hesitations and in and outs. And, and he's really good at protecting the basketball while making aggressive moves. Um, but 
But what happened with James Harden is by game five, by game six, by game seven of a series, an elite perimeter defender would see his dribble package and see his hesitation moves dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And he just wouldn't be able to get as much separation Mm -hmm. as the series progressed. All I'm saying is I am curious to see Shea in his Mm -hmm. first playoff series as a number one option simply because he is a guy that relies a lot on change of pace, hesitation, type of stuff to beat people off the dribble. I'm curious to see if we see an elite perimeter defender not solve him, but figure out a way to kind of slow him down a little bit. I'm just curious to see it. I personally think that Shea will eventually solve that himself in his career, even if he does encounter that problem. I just think he's way better then I, I think he will be way better than James Harden ever was. But I just think, yeah. and I, that almost feels mean to say with how good James Harden was at his prime. But I, I, I want to say I believe in Shea long-term. I'm just curious to see if there will be an adjustment period with him as it pertains to playoff basketball. Here, Here's my counter to that. James Harden never had a mid-range game that was nearly the level that Shea's mid-range game is. Shea is shooting something like 52 to 53% uh, from between 10 and 23 feet right now. So even if you do stay in front of him, where Harden struggled was deciding, okay, I'm just going to step back into the mid-range and find a way into that shot. He had to get all the way to the rim. He had to rely on fouls, right? Shea has the body mechanics and that shiftiness, to be able to stop and pop in the mid range and be able to just shoot over the top of the tough. He can create high ish, not super high, but like high ish efficiency looks from the mid range in a way that James Harden really Mm -hmm. couldn't at the end of the day. And I think that it's much harder to sit on Shay's moves in that way, particularly knowing that with Harden, it was okay. I either need to sit on the step back or I need to be ready to stop him at the rim, and we need to have a second body coming over. With Shea, it's I have to be available for the step back three. I have to be available basically at every single step along the line toward him driving to the rim. I have to be ready that he's going to stop and pop ahead of me. And I think that that makes it a lot more difficult to guard Mm -hmm. him than what it was to guard James in the playoffs at the end of the day when you had seven games to adjust throw different looks at him, throw different counters at him. And on top of it, seriously, like Jalen Williams is waiting on the (laughs) second side once the defense is bent and he can score from all three levels too. He's a 50, I think he's shooting like 54, 45, 82 or something right now. So like he's a 180 shooter on the other side, just in a different, you know, mechanical way that he's going about it uh, in terms of the numbers. So, man, I think this is a really good team, dude. I think that it really does. I think your points are entirely valid about what do they look like in terms of the physicality. If Chet can't stay on the floor, they have a real chance to lose in the first round. That is a fact of the matter. If he proves that he can stay on the floor, I think they can make the finals. Like To me, the swing is all him. And I don't know the answer to that yet. I don't think anybody does in terms of the way that like his game will be officiated as much as anything. Like I trust the person, like the human being to bring it. I'm just really interested to see the way he's officiated in the play. I'm excited to see what happens. To be clear, I'm rooting for them. This is not 
<laughs> this is not a, a a negative like thunder type of take. It's just it's just uh, uh, I I am. <laughs> I, I think this can work to my detriment sometimes, but I, I lean heavily on my basketball philosophies and they just kind of it land into some of those boxes. So I lied. I, I, no, I do I want to it. do a little bit of a deeper dive on this particular team, my number 11, which is the Dallas Mavericks. So I am assuming the front court player you're really high on is Daniel Gafford. I, I like Daniel yeah. Gafford. I think he falls a little bit into the... Like I think he's better than this player for the record, but I, 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 I he to mm-hmm. me he falls a little bit into the Montrez Harrell type of tier where like he's an incredible role man who finishes on a catching rolling to the rim really well, but I get concerned about him as a pick and roll defender uh, in particular. Yeah, that's that I think is reasonable. And, 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 and to the that. point that I was trying to make about the Suns earlier, like there's a case to be made that Derek Lively is actually their best option at center. There's a case to be made that Josh Green is actually a better, you know, option for them to use as kind of like a perimeter versatile forward than a, you know, than a PJ Washington, even though he's undersized, you know, there's a case to be made that some of the guys they brought back in the deadline aren't necessarily even in their closing five. Um, I am curious. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I hate that our only film, I wanted to watch film and it's like the only film we get is the damn Spurs game, which just, they're so easy to guard because, because of their lack of legitimate ball handling. Uh, but I have them as my long shots for one very simple reason. And I actually had a question earlier. Someone gave me three teams and I want to say it was like the Pelicans, the Mavs, and then I can't remember who the last team was, but I said the Mavs have the best chance to win out of that group because to me, Kyrie Irving and, and Luka Doncic are just two of the best half-court shot creators in the playoffs that you could have. And so if they can find a way to defend and compete on the glass well enough, and they've been a bad defensive rebounding team this year as well, but if they can find a way to contend in those areas, I just think it's foolish to count those guys out. And that's why I have them as long shots. But you're way higher on the Mavs, so make the case. They will enter every series with a reasonable case that they have the best player in the series outside of Denver, I think. Uh, I would take Nikola Jokic over all of these guys, but like... If you were drafting playoff games and playoff lineups, I might take Luca third. Like I, I really might, given what he has been able to do in the playoffs. He has been unstoppable every time that he has hit the highest level of NBA caliber competition. Now you look at the schematics around it. I actually really like the way that this roster is built from that perspective. I wouldn't have given up a first round pick for PJ Washington, but he does create some flexibility for them lineup wise that I think is intriguing for what I'll talk about momentarily. They now just have a lot of different bodies that they can throw out there. They have Tim Hardaway Jr. If you want like the high volume three point scorer, they have Josh Green, who I think is a really interesting body that they can throw out there athletically on defense, who I, I don't know if you can leave him open from three anymore. Uh, that was kind of what I thought you would do in a playoff. That's what it was two years them, ago. But like, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's been consistent the last like year and a half to where like I kind of think you might not be able to like leave him totally open. I really loved the minutes that Dante Exum gave them. We'll see what happens with Dante. He has the knee injury. He hasn't played in what like three or four weeks. It feels like now. If he's there, I think that he gives them another option. Then in the front court. I agree with you that in the playoffs that Derek Lively, I think, is probably their best option. 
right? Because you can do multiple things with him in ball screens at the end of the day. Uh, whereas with Gafford, you really have to play drop. You really have to fight over the top. And their guards, Luca and Kyrie, are not necessarily built to fight over the top. If you are a team that has two creators that you can trust, uh, you'll have you know Josh Green, whoever, guard at the point of attack, right? Uh, Dante Exum as well. Derek Jones Jr. potentially for minutes as well. Like, but if you have the second creator that you trust to be able to get real opportunities, that's where you make Luca and Kyrie fight over the top in Gafford screens, and that's probably going to lead to open opportunities and looks. So I'm with you. I think it's probably lively that's going to have to play, but they have 48 minutes now if they want it of elite level rim protection. Mm-hmm. In Lively and Gafford. That's the difference between Gafford and Trez, in my opinion. Gafford is at least like a very good rim. Yeah, he's got more length. He contests. He has more length and he contests everything. Like he often to his detriment in terms of defensive rebounding, like he chases everything uh, in terms of contesting at the basket. So teams are going to miss against them. And I think it's actually a little bit easier for him to chase everything when you have Luca crashing in to clean up on the defensive glass because of how good of a defensive rebounder Luca is now, like you still need to get a body on guys. You still need to be able to uh, create things that way. But Luca is so good in the playoffs. Kyrie is also incredible in the playoffs, and I think that his season has really gone under the radar because he's missed so many games already to where he's not going to be eligible for all NBA. Kyrie right now is averaging 26 on 49-41-88. He's so good. And nobody is talking about him. He's so good. He has like a four and a half to one assist. He has like a four to one assist turnover ratio right now. Like Kyrie has been unbelievable this season. Like to, to a ridiculous, ridiculous degree. I think there's like almost a case where if you're the Suns, would you rather have Luca and Kyrie or Devin Booker in Kevin Durant, given how good Luca has been this season? Man, that's a tough question. I uh I I've it's always annoyed me with all the conversations surrounding Kyrie Irving that like he's awesome at basketball isn't brought up more <laughs> like like because he is incredible he's incredible and like i do think a lot of people galaxy brained that situation in the sense that like like the covid stuff totally understand why everyone was frustrated that was super annoying the year before when he just left his family or le- uh, left the team to go be with his family or whatever the hell he was doing totally understand what he did to cleveland Totally understand what he did to Boston. Totally understand what happened at the end of Brooklyn was super obvious. He had a falling out with the front office and he wanted a new deal. That was what he was trying to do. So like I was pretty, pretty certain that he would be focused when he was in Dallas for that specific reason. And when he's in a situation where the contract isn't hanging over his head and you know, I, I, I have a feeling that at least within the context of this season, that that was never going to be an issue. And he's been awesome. Um, I do what's I get a little worried about Dallas with who their best five is. So like if I'm if I'm Dallas obviously we talked about Derek Lively as the five. To me, I kind of lean Josh Green for more physical matchups, maybe a Tim Hardaway Jr. against teams where you really need more shooting. But that four spot is the interesting one mm-hmm. to me. Would you would you rather go with like a guy like Derek Jones Jr. who's like a really solid perimeter defender who's actually been a decent kind of like weak side kind of slasher off the wing and has done some good stuff for them offensively or would you go with pj washington at the four there 
it's matchup dependent and it's dependent on how serious PJ like takes defensive attention to detail mm-hmm. because that's always been the issue with him and Charlotte. It's just like the attention to detail, the transition defense, the willingness to like consistently fight like game in game mm-hmm. out. Uh, he's a very skilled, he, he, it, the answer should be PJ uh, like very That's clearly. what the team wants. I'm assuming, right? It's, it's what the team wants and it's what I would want. It's what I think everybody in the league should want. PJ needs to prove that it can be PJ in my opinion. Uh, if he really it's it's up to PJ Washington if he is their closing four or frankly another situation that was very useful for Charlotte in the past when PJ was in his second season and was like a little bit more engaged was playing PJ at the five. This is kind of the other thing that I think is a little bit interesting about Dallas. What their moves did at the deadline is it allowed them to play big with Lively and Gafford for 48 minutes at the five spot, or it allowed them to go small. You can downsize and you can go like Maxi Kleba, PJ Washington at the four or five, and you can still have like requisite size intelligence out there with Maxi. Hopefully Maxi knocks down threes and hopefully Maxi like stays healthy. He's had sorts issues, issues with that yeah. obviously over the course of the last couple of years, but you have a lot of different front court lineup variations to where if you need to shut down, if you need to switch ball screens and shut down things, you can go PJ and Maxi at the four and the five. If you want to play drop or something like that, PJ is not going to be good at drop, but you can have Maxi rotating over from the weak side and at least be like a presence there as a good, intelligent, tall, high end defender. And then you go five out around Luca. Luca likes having the lob threat. He likes having the downhill body that can also like Gortat screen for him as he's like navigating mm-hmm. the paint and everything. But like their optionality in the front court, like some of these other teams, I think they don't have enough options. Like Phoenix does not have enough options around their stars to be able to get the most out of their stars if something goes mm-hmm. haywire, right? Uh, Oklahoma City to an extent. They fixed it with Hayward a little bit, but largely they don't have enough optionality behind Chet if something was to go wrong or like if they were counting on Josh Giddy to play like 25 minutes a game in the playoffs, right? Dallas to me actually has optionality because they have two-way players. PJ is an entirely theoretical two-way <laughs> player in my opinion. But there's a chance that he could be that. He's shown the wherewithal to do it, especially in on-ball settings in the past. Josh Green can be a two-way player. If you get a hot shooting night from Derek Jones Jr., he could be a two-way player for a night. Dante Exum has been like a pretty solid two-way player throughout the course of the season. And then you have Gafford and Lively, both of whom are two-way players in the context of what Dallas asks them to do within their offense, being a screen roll rim run guy, being screen roll rim run guys. Whereas these other teams, I think, are inflexible. I actually think Dallas is a little bit more flexible in how they can surround their stars with talent and let those guys be great. I wonder if you could run some like Josh Green, PJ Washington Leba front court looks where you do more switching too. I like I, that's yeah. always been a big one for me that defensive versatility piece and and I will say I will say I have been really impressed by the job that front office has done since last year massively increasing the athletic profile of the team. 
because like they were not athletic last year. And now it's like between Derek Jones Jr., Josh Green, I think is a really good athlete at the position, but even Tim Hardaway for all of his flaws, he can move, <laughs> you know, like he, uh, Maxi Kleba is a, is a, is a very mobile, big guy. PJ Washington, very mobile. Derek Lively, very mobile. Daniel Gafford, very mobile. Like they, all of a sudden have a lot of, to your point, it's a lot of guys who theoretically could be good defensively. And that's what kind of gets you to the situation where you can kind of see a path, which is like, as long as Jason Kidd can kind of touch the right notes about who those other three guys are, depending on the matchup, as long as Luca mm-hmm. and Kyrie bring the requisite superstar shot creation, you have a, you have a chance to, to beat really anybody. I, I, You've you've definitely raised my opinion of the Mavs through this conversation, but I'm not surprised you've done that before. Um, let's go quickly through these last uh, bits of our. Well, go ahead. Hold, hold go on, ahead. real quick to finish to finish Dallas. Where do you think I have Dallas ranked right now in this thing? I'm going to guess that you have them at six behind Milwaukee. Yeah, I have them five. Five right Milwaukee. Five. I have them. I have them ahead of Minnesota. Wow! Wow! I think that they cause real schematic problems for Minnesota in terms of, yeah, you throw Jaden McDaniels on Luca, probably that's your goal, but okay. Then you're going to force Anthony Edwards to guard Kyrie for minutes upon minutes upon minutes in that series. And that feels like a real issue. And then they can throw multiple big bodies out there at Carl Towns and uh, Rudy Gobert if they want to. Next two weeks, Phoenix, Indy, Cleveland, and Boston on Dallas's schedule. So we're, we're going to learn a lot. One of the thing with Dallas that's made them impossible for me to evaluate. They've had sixteen different guys start games from this year. They've had they've had yep. eleven different guys start at least five games for them this year. So like it's been re- really difficult for me to get a read on the team just because they've had constant guys in and out of the lineup. You make some really good points about the matchup with uh, Minnesota in particular. You know, what's interesting too, last thing I'll say about it, you had uh, talked about like the Lakers coming from the seven seed and and I, in general, don't think there's an easy matchup anywhere in the West from the standpoint of like, like let's say you're the one seed. Yeah. If you're the one seed, if you're, let's say that the, the Timberwolves run away with it, they get the one seed. Like you're probably going to have to face Golden State or the Lakers in the first round. Like, that's not an easy matchup. You know, like, I, you're not going it's, into... It's not easy, but... You're yeah, not going into I that matchup like... Your like, you're not going into that matchup like it's easy. Okay, so you win. You you play the winner of Denver-Phoenix, <laughs> you know? And then, like, if you win yeah. that, you play the winner of OKC, the Clippers. So, like, I don't really look at seeding as, as, as... As important, it's more just the home court advantage piece. I think is a big differentiator. But yeah, like I agree with you. Like, like the Mavs are going to present some real matchup problems for teams, just just with the the sheer amount of looks that they can go with. That's a really interesting take. Um, I at number twelve had the Miami Heat. I love the Miami Heat, but once again, yep. I I think they're a great upset candidate for teams that are flawed. I think they're a good championship like security station where like. If you don't get through Miami, you're clearly not a championship contender anyway, because like they'll just expose you for the shit you're bad at. I love the DeLon Wright pickup. I think that's a guy that can help them. I do think yeah. they'll get more out of Terry Rozier, God willing, if his hell uh, his knee can get right. I do think they'll get more out of him than what they've gotten. 
Um, but I do think there's a little bit of a good stats, bad team thing going on with Terry Rozier, at least as an offensive shot creator, uh, which I which I think you've seen some of the early returns of this year um, with Miami. I just, again, just don't think they have the firepower, but I do think they've got the capability of upsetting anybody just simply on the strength of Spolstra, Jimmy Bam, and some of the backcourt athleticism that they've added. Yeah, so I also have the heat and am ready for people to come back to this in two months and just be like, well, they did it again. (laughs) (laughs) They did it again. Uh, Like, look, if they play the Bucks in a two seven match or like they're not going to finish seventh but like if they finish uh you know if the bucks fall to the four seed and they're the five seed or something like that and they play the bucks in the first round and that's bolster against doc rivers in that like messy bucks team i have that would be the best outcome that would be the peak outcome for this season (laughs) i really like kind of want it to happen (laughs) if i'm being honest and look i know they're in seventh in the um east right now so like i should say that they could finish seventh in the east i guess but like i think they finish ahead of man indiana could get healthy and like go on a bit of a run they're only you know two and a half games back of philadelphia right now we'll see what philadelphia ends up being coming down the stretch here um if they get to the six and milwaukee ends up the three or something like that that could be just like really really fun oh my gosh it'd be amazing um number 13 i had the philadelphia 76ers uh, and it's just, it's all theoretical yeah. based on like, what if Embiid comes back and just kicks everyone's ass? Like, that's always like an outcome that you have where, to write Where would in. you rank them? Where would you rank them if Joel was healthy? I think if I remember correctly, after right around the time that the uh, Denver game went down, I think I had them like fifth, if I remember correctly. Again, my, my, my mm-hmm. take on Embiid is really simple. I think if he stays healthy, and I mean in the long run, that he will have a breakthrough playoff run. I think he's too talented not to. Yeah, um, It's just a question of when he could figure those things out. And I do think health has played a role. I think it's been a combination of him leaning a little bit too much on the jump shot in postseason settings. And then two, and, and him not being able to hit it when he gets there. And then the health, I think, has been a legitimate issue for him. Uh, but in terms of the Sixers overall, I look at it like I do think that Tyrese Maxey, it's a lot to ask for him to be the second best player on a championship team in this phase of his career. And I, I run into a little bit of yep. like, a, do they have enough firepower type of uh, of discussion? Would they be able to weather a Joel Embiid clunker, you know, in a big moment that, you know, is something that he's uh, uh, has the potential to kind of deal with. And it really, ever since Jimmy Butler has been out of the equation, I haven't felt like they've had that type of guy. Uh, you know what I mean? And so I, 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 I'm high on the Sixers in the long run. I thought that Daryl Morey did a really nice job with the James Harden trade. I was actually surprised with how much he got back. Um, uh, not just in usable players, but also in just draft compensation. And like, I thought J- Daryl Morey did a really yeah. good job there. I think they're poised for another big move uh, to kind of address some of their firepower issues in the long run. But like, to me, even if they were fully healthy, I would have had them pretty far down on this list. But under the circumstances, the I- the idea of Embiid coming back before the end of the year, just getting in rhythm in time to kick everybody's batch- butt, just felt like a long shot to me. How many playoff games do you think Tyrese Maxey has played so far in his career? Gosh, I'm going to guess. Was he even in the rotation two years ago? He was. Okay, I'm going to say 25. 
Yeah, he's played 35 playoff games already. Like, so he's played like half a season in the playoffs. Like, I, I wonder if we might be underlooking and underrating like his comfort level in the playoffs already. Obviously, like up until last season, it was a different role. But you know what? Each of the last two seasons where he's played 40 minutes a night, he's averaged 21 points a game in the playoffs. And his like that second year, that 2022 year, he shot 48, 38, 94 on 21 points a night in the playoffs. I think Tyrese might be fine in the playoffs is where what I'm getting at here. If he's able to not be the number one, if he's able to be the number two behind Joel, I love the Buddy Heald edition for them if Joel's healthy. Uh, it creates so many problems for opposing teams on the backside of those uh, empty side pick and roll actions they like to run with Tyrese. If you just put Buddy in the corner of those actions, most teams like to pre-rotate from the corner in order to help those uh, in order to help on the empty side roll. If you put him in the corner, your team can't pre-rotate. That means you're pre-rotating from the wing, which means that then you're able to kick to the wing in all likelihood. And then you have either the corner man lifting, which is Buddy's guy, or you have top of the key that's helping, which is just an easy reversal. And then you're basically back into the action Mm -hmm. again uh, with one more pass, right? So like it flows into itself really well. And that's even just like not accounting for, you could do some fucking wild stuff with like, Joel and Buddy and like five two ball screen like slip actions right. You could do some crazy stuff with like maxi healed speed actions. Like you could run some like uh, twenty one actions where like Buddy is you know you're running like empty side with Buddy like ghosting in just know, like flying up to the wing. Like you could just do so so much. You could do exactly right. You could do so 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 much with them. I think that Buddy is a real schematic addition for them in a playoff setting, in my opinion, even with the defensive liabilities that he brings to the table. I just don't trust that Joel's going to be healthy mm. enough to see any of it, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm really high on Tyrese Maxey. I think he's the probably the best combination of speed and shooting ability that we have in the league right now. Uh, I'm a hu- I'm a yeah. huge believer in him in the long run. His efficiency did tank quite a bit last year. Uh, that was the one thing that kind of got me a little bit worried about him. And like we've seen even just for stretches this year where he can go cold. Um, I, I'm a big believer in Tyrese. I just think I think it's a lot to ask for a guy in his first year being the number one. Per- and by the way, to me, number two option doesn't mean as much when you factor in the fact that he's going to get the number one perimeter defender. Like he's going to get the best point. perimeter defender that the other team has to offer. I am. I, I Again, just huge believer in Tyrese Maxey long run, but like, guys, just think of it like this. He's Tyler Harrow's age. He's Jordan Poole's age. Like, he's young. He's got, there's, there, <laughs> there's, there's something to be said about, um, about like, if there's, if there's been a theme that you guys have picked up from me on this today's show, it's like Jason hates the youth, <laughs> but, but I, uh, uh, I, I am a believer in Tyrese long run, uh, in the long run. I am a believer that Joel Embiid will eventually break through. Just doesn't feel like this is going to be the year. So, uh, is there anybody? That's yeah. the end of my list. Is there any team that you had on your list that I didn't have? No, the end of my list too. Um, I just the know, teams we discussed like, earlier. We talked about the Cavs yeah. at the top. Yeah, we've talked to everybody. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, two and a half hours later, <laughs> poor Paul. He's gonna have to. Yeah, this will be. He's multiple. gonna have to cut this into multiple episodes for sure. Uh, <laughs> multiple episodes. It's fine. But. I appreciate, yeah, we shouldn't even thank each other for this. We should just thank Paul for, for listening to us for the last two and a half hours. Shout out Paul, baby. <laughs> thank you guys so much for supporting the show. Sam, can you please shout out your work? Sam does amazing work for The Athletic. 
go to the game theory podcast over on youtube uh go to the athletic keep me employed over there uh that's you know all we got nothing too crazy let's uh how about you and i plan on doing a playoff preview at some point when we get closer is that something because i love talking matchups with you i think that'd be fun yeah, of course, cool. man. Anytime. All right, guys. As always, we appreciate you for supporting the show. I am taking every minute off until Warriors Lakers on Thursday night. I will see you guys for an instant reaction then. We appreciate you guys. We'll see you then. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.